Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God. Amen. Glory be to the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, now and ever and unto the ages of all ages. Amen. The psalm says, Hear the voice of my supplications. Blessed be the Lord, because he has heard the voice of my supplications. What does that mean? Well, supplications are when we ask God for stuff, basically. And so the psalmist is saying, the author of the psalm is, is praying and saying, Blessed be the Lord, because he has heard my prayer when I asked him for things. And I think I was praying and reading the readings and I was thinking to myself, I wish I could say that. I wish I could say that. I wish I could say that I have an experience, an experience of answered prayer continually, but I realize that that's not the case. I thought to myself, maybe I'm not the only one. If we look, we've just finished celebrating the, the fast and the feast of St. Mary, and then today is the 21st of the month, so we commemorate St. Mary uh, every 21st of the month. And we saw in today's gospel that um, they say to Jesus, uh, your, your mother and your brethren, brothers are waiting for you outside. And he says to them, Who is my mother and who are my brothers? Those who do the will of my Father in heaven are my brother and my sister and my mother. And he's, he's not saying this to put down his mother, but rather he's saying this um, rather, he's saying this to say that what makes my mother my mother is the fact that she says, said yes, the fact that she was obedient, the fact that when the Archangel Gabriel came and told her, you will bear the Son of God in the Annunciation, you will be with child, and you will be pregnant, and so on, she didn't say, uh, I don't know, I'm not so sure, uh, let me think about it, give me a couple of days, she just said yes. And that, that immediate response towards God that is yes is like, uh, an, like, the, like the practical living out of our holiness. What does it mean to be holy? What does it mean to be pure in heart so that we may see God? God says, blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see God. What does that mean? It's very simple. It means for us to be holy. What does that mean? It means in very practical terms that when God says to me, I say yes. Wait, but Father John, you, you skipped something. There was like a, there's a fill in the blank there. You just kind of skipped over. When God says to you, you say yes. What was the, what was this fill in the blank? God says to you what? What is it that he's going to say to you that you're going to say yes about? It doesn't matter because it's God who said, Right? I've learned something in my short six years of marriage. When my wife calls me and she has that tone of voice and I say, how's it going? And she says, everything's all right. But she has that tone of voice that says to me that everything is not all right. I am supposed to drop everything and go and find out what's wrong. It, it doesn't matter what she's going to say. She might say, yes, everything's okay. No, it's not okay. Whatever. You know what I mean? Not drop everything. Like, finish what I'm doing. Finish what I'm currently doing. Of course, it's like I'm within the vicinity. I'm not like, you know, halfway across the world or something, you know. But if I'm halfway across the world, then I stop what I'm doing. And, I, and, and I, I've learned that it's, it's just better to do it. It's just better to do, to do that. 
is better for her, is better for me, is better for God, is better for all of us, right? And the church teaches us that. The church said that to me on the day I got married, hasten to do everything that pleases her heart, right? The church said that to me, right? So that's, so, so, so I've learned that. It only took me six years, but, and, but now, now I need to put it into practice, right? It's the same with God. When God says, I do. It's very different. It's very, very different from... It's very, very different from how we... You know, I, I think about my relationship with other people. You know, somebody tells me to do something. Um, I want to. I'd like to. A lot of the young people and, uh, who, who uh, volunteer here at the church and serve here at the church, they know, they, they, they've gotten used to hearing a particular answer from me. Uh, whenever they ask me if they can do something, the an I, I always say the answer is yes, the question is how, right? But I'm still, there's still a question, there's still something we're going to discuss, we're going to see, we're going to figure it out. But not with God, not with God. With God, what makes St. Mary, St. Mary, is that when God came and spoke to her, she just said yes. She just said yes. And she asked a question. She did ask a question. But how will this be because I do not know a man? She didn't ask this question like, like if you answer this question and I like the answer, I'll give, I'll give your proposition some consideration. No, she, she's saying, sure, no problem. But wait a minute, how's this going to happen? Because I don't... Uh, you know, I, I don't uh, have any intimate relationships with any man, right? And this is kind of the segue for us to talk about answered prayer. What are the secrets of answered prayer? The first secret is a disposition, this disposition that St. Mary has, this disposition of obedience that all of the readings were talking about. And when we read the Catholic epistle uh, and it was giving advice to servants and to, to, to wives and to women and to their conduct in the church, I was urging everyone not to, to see this as how women should behave in the church or how should servants, you know, and slaves behave towards their masters, you know? No, like, but to see this as how the disposition that God wants my heart to be in towards him, right? And um, to be very, very brief, um, St. Peter is, is saying, Servants, be submissive to your masters with all fear. As to Christ, be submissive to your masters with all fear as to Christ. So you're not submissive to your masters as, as uh, you're worried that in all fear that they're going to punish you, they're going to beat you, they're going to hit you, they're going to cut your pay, they're going to... No, no, no. My concern, my concern is that, is that I'm standing before the living God and I have to, my decorum and my, my, my actions and my words and whatever have to be as though I'm standing before the living God, right? And to respect the people that I serve as though I'm standing before the living God. St. Peter is, is saying this to them in, in their time and in their context, but he's saying this to you and to me in the context of the rest of these readings, in the context of the rest of these readings, God is trying to tell you and to tell me what is the disposition of a heart that will easily receive its prayers answered. Then he talks about wives and he says, that wives be submissive to your own husbands 
Um, even if they do not obey the word, they will obey because of your conduct. Like even if your husband is an ungodly person, he will learn to obey because of your godly conduct. Again, don't take this, and we can talk about the context of why St. Peter was writing this to wives and to the women in the church, so on, right? But some other time, but for the moment, for the moment, just see this as how, how, to, how to be so that we can have answered prayer. Now, that's the first thing, which is very important, and we could spend the whole sermon talking about it, but I want to talk about three other little things, right? Or one other thing. What are the premises that are based upon these premises, I should pray and I should expect an answer for prayer? Like, y'all are rational people. I know like 90% of you and you're, you know, you're very high, high functioning and very high, uh, you know, like, like you have very demanding jobs and very demanding uh, fields of study and you're very intelligent people, right? So in general, when you make a decision, it's based upon certain things which you have accepted as true. So what are the, the, the basic things that I should accept as true that would lead me to believe that when I pray, I should get an answer to my prayer? The first is that God promises us that He gives us if we ask, but we must ask. There's nowhere in Scripture that says that you mustn't ask. We must ask. If we ask, God will give. The second thing is that God must give. Why must God give? He must give, not only because He has promised it, but from just a rational perspective. Because He Himself tells us that we can do nothing without Him. He Himself tells us, you can do nothing without Me. In John 15, 6. And 15, 7, He says, if you abide in Me and My words abide in you, ask anything and it will be done for you, right? So he says in the same breath, he says, you can't do anything without me. And then he says, if you're, if you're living with me, ask anything and I will do it for you, right? We must ask. We must go to God on our knees, hands clasped, asking, asking him. And he must answer us. He gives another parable in Luke 11. I absolutely love this parable. And when I read like some background on it, it, it opened my eyes to that many times when God, uh, Jesus says a parable, he actually likens himself to the bad guy in the parable. And then he says like, like, if somebody who's bad would do such and such, how much more good would your father do in heaven? So he says, he says that this guy has a guest that comes to visit him at night. And he comes, an old friend of his comes, knocks at his door at night, and then he welcomes him in. And as he welcomes him in, he realizes he has nothing to set before him. So in olden times, maybe now as well, if you receive a guest, you would immediately show them hospitality. Um, in their times, they would like wash their feet, which is sort of the equivalent of like me taking your coat and hanging it uh, for you, right? Um, and then they would immediately serve them something to drink, something to eat, and it would usually be quite light. And then a little bit later, they would offer them like a bigger meal. And this could all take several hours, could even take a day or two, right? 
This is just the, 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 the art of receiving a guest, right? So this old friend comes to visit me and I've got nothing to put before him, right? What does that mean? That means that I have nothing. And that's shameful. In their, in those, in their times, that was shameful. Okay, that meant like maybe that you, you had fallen on hard times or something bad had happened to you and so on. And in their times, they really associated that with like God being angry with you or something like that, which is of course not something that we believe currently. But needless to say, it was shameful. So what would you, what, what would I do? I would run to the neighbor and I'd say, hey, lend me some stuff. Do you have some bread? Do you have some this? Do you have some cheese? Do you have some, right? And it, quickly I'd make a platter at my, at my neighbor's place and I would bring it. And what would give me even more confidence to go to my neighbor is that in those times families lived together. So my neighbor was probably my brother, my sister, my cousin, my, my parents. my. So it was totally normal for me to go to this person who is of my family and then tell them, look, I got this guest and so on. And it's shameful for me not to set something before him. In fact... It's not just shameful for me, it's shameful to our family name. You know, it's shameful to Boutros. So the rest of the Boutros family will be shamed too. So it's actually in the best interest of my neighbor to, to help me out, right? So I go and I ask my neighbor, and my neighbor says, look man, I just tucked the kids in, I just, I just got into bed, forget it, you're on your own, right? And wait, what do you mean I'm on my own? Dude, answer, knock, open the door, right? And he says, he says that man continued to knock on the door, continued to knock on the door, continued to knock on the door until his neighbor got up and got out of bed reluctantly, got him whatever he wanted and sent him back on his way. And then he says, and he gives a couple of other examples. He says, if you're a father and your child is hungry, and won't you give him something to eat? And he gives a couple of different examples. And he says, then if you being evil know how to, to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father in heaven? So who is God in the parable of the, the guest coming at night and so on? He's, God is like the, is the neighbor who doesn't want to get out of bed. Sometimes we feel like God is tucked into bed, he's tucked the angels into bed, and he just doesn't want to, you know, like, look, John, I know you really want me to help you out with this, but look, can't you come back another day, right? Sometimes we feel like, We've, we're like, like maybe somehow we're inconvenient to God in some way. He has some kind of reluctance. Now, isn't that funny? Isn't it funny that the first, the first couple of minutes of the sermon, I was talking about us having willingness to, to, to follow God with complete openness, like regardless of what God asks us, I'm willing to just jump and do it, just like St. Mary. And we know that God is telling us to do that. And usually when we give advice to people, we give advice to people that we ourselves would follow. So God is advising us to have a spirit of willingness and a spirit of openness to just be ready to leap towards him. Whatever he says, God says, jump. I say, how high, right? God says, do, the, do and I say, do what, Lord? I interrupt him. Anything you say, Lord, I'll do it. Your wish is my command, Lord, I'll do it. And that's what we're saying God wants us to do but then in my head, I think God is the exact opposite. I think that God is kind of reluctant. It's kind of slow. Isn't it funny? Isn't it strange that God would be telling us to do something when he himself does something else? Of course it's wrong. God is not reluctant. God is not displeased. God himself is, is as willing to give us as he's calling us to be willing to obey him.
Think about that. God is as willing to answer your prayers as He is asking you to be willing to obey Him. God is like on the blocks, ready to leap, ready to jump. He's, he's, he's pounced like a tiger, ready, ready, crouched like a tiger, ready to pounce, ready to do your bidding. This is the God that we believe in. This is the God that we believe in. Who are we in this parable? We're the people who are knocking. We're the people who are knocking. And he's saying, just ask with persistence. Just ask with persistence, right? And this is the greatest work for us. Prayer on earth is the measure of the Spirit of God from heaven here present on earth with us. I uh, constantly invite people to come to church and to pray when no one is here. Why? Because I love you and I want you to have a place to pray? Yes. But actually there's a selfish request as well. Because in as much as this place is full of prayer, in as much as this place is like the kingdom of heaven. That's why I am ideologically categorically against like on a like on a theoretical level i'm categorically against the doors of the church being locked we still have to figure out how to make that a, a practical reality but the church should be full of prayer all the time and then it will be a picture of heaven all the time the measure of heaven of your home how much is your home like heaven how much prayer is there? How much is your life a heavenly life? How much prayer is there? I fear that if God were to give me my requests immediately, I don't know the answer to it. The, the, the question, of course, is why does not God not just give us on the first time? Why, don't I, why doesn't God just, I say and God just does it immediately? I've heard a thousand answers, and usually when there's a thousand answers to one question, it's because none of them are perfectly correct. But I'll tell you, I'll tell you my fear. My fear is that if God were to answer my prayers immediately, I would stop praying. If God were to answer my prayers immediately, I would stop praying. When what will give me a heavenly life is not the thing that I'm praying for, Remember, when we talked about supplication, supplication is praying and asking for stuff, right? So some people will tell you, no, no, don't pray and ask God for stuff. That's not spiritual, right? That's not, a holy people don't do that. They pray and ask God to be peaceful, to be kind, to be gentle, to be merciful, to repent, to be more holy. Pray about that stuff. But, you know, you're having trouble, you know, making ends meet at the end of the month. Don't pray about that. God will take care of it and so on. No, no. I'm telling you the exact opposite. Pray about it. Expect an answer from God and keep praying until He answers. And keep praying until He answers. Have the attitude, and I'm saying this to myself as much as I'm saying it to you. John, have the attitude that I cannot be refused. There have been a few things in my life that I asked for that I got refused. And I realized as I was walking away, wait a minute. I have nowhere to go. Like, there's nowhere, for, there's nowhere for me to go without an answer to this. Like, I need this, 
So I can, this is step one, I need this so I can go and do step two. I can't do step two until I'm finished doing step one. So I, I can't leave here with step one being incomplete because I won't be able to do step two. Right? I was telling a couple of the youth a story about when we bought the church, right? So when we bought the church, um, uh, there was like a, a hiccup with the, like one line in the insurance, the lawyer of the seller didn't like it. And, we, and they didn't want to let us close. On the day of closing, they said we'll close the following day. We had three days to the opening of the church. So we didn't really have time to waste one day. So I told our lawyer, I told him, get back on the phone and tell the other lawyer that I'm not leaving until I have keys to the church. Because really, quite frankly, I have nowhere to go. Like for the next three days, we have like 70 hours to like get this place ready for a church opening, right? We're working, we're like working around the clock, like different shifts, day shifts, night shifts. We're working around the clock. We can't afford to, to lose 12 hours, right? And quite frankly, I have nowhere to go. Like I have a whole bunch of people waiting at, at, at the building, you know, for the key so we can start working. So I've, I've got nowhere to go. So I'm just gonna stay right here. And I just got down on my knees and I started to pray. And I, I don't know if it's like God who answered or how pathetic I looked, like kneeling and praying in the boardroom of this lawyer's office or what, right? But finally, they spoke to the lawyer. The lawyer spoke to the seller, the pastor of the previous church here. And he said, just give him the keys. Like, we'll close, like, we'll close the next morning. Just give him. So we took the keys. Of course, we don't own the church yet. And we came and we opened. And so some of you are smiling because you are here, right? And we started painting and chipping away old stuff off the walls. And all this. we don't even own the church. And we're like, right? We took the, the, the letters off the signage outside and repainted the white columns and re all of this stuff. Tons of work was done, right? But quite frankly, I had nowhere to go. Like, like, what am I going to do? Go home? I'm not going to be able to sleep. Several times in my career in medicine, I'd have a sick patient. And, you know, I'd be thinking to myself, should I go check on him? Or maybe I'll go check on him later. Should I go check on him? Or maybe I should go check on him later. Then I'd realize, you know what? I'm just going to sit here and worry. So why don't I just go check on him, make sure he's okay, and then get on with my life. Or if he's not okay, deal with him not being okay. But there's no sense in sitting here worrying, nor am I going to sleep, nor am I going to rest, nor am I going to be able to think about anything else. Let me just go and deal with it. We have to have that attitude in prayer with God when we're praying for stuff. God, you have to answer my prayer because quite frankly, I have nowhere else to go. There's nothing else that I would do, that I wanna do, that I can do, that I would do. This is, this is the only thing that matters to me. When we have that heart of prayer and we believe that God is true to his word. And we believe that truly, truly, we can actually do nothing without him. But in him, we can do all things. We've got all the basic principles to pray and to expect for our prayers to be answered. Glory be to God forever and ever. Amen. I have sinned. Forgive me. My fathers and mothers and brothers and sisters, please pray.